0: Hey guys, Andres Gamboa Barrera here, creator and co-host of the Ponytails podcast. Nick Deverdi was with me today and we talked to Barry Hart, who sold books from 1985 to 1991 while going to the University of Purdue. He was amazing. What a wonderful episode to be sharing really good lessons on how to grow a business, how to scale a business, and really how to ensure that what you're doing is fulfilling to you. Uh, Barry is uh, owner of Young at Heart, it's a pharmaceutical company that he started with another book man. And so he shared a lot of the details and a lot of the fun memories throughout his time there and since. I hope you enjoy this one. If you haven't yet, make sure you follow us on Instagram. Make sure you like us on Facebook. Subscribe to whatever podcast app you listen to, however you listen. Um, YouTube is where we're going to be having our episodes live now. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. Now, without further ado, Barry Hart. And we should be live on YouTube now. Heck yep. yeah, man. All righty, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ponytails Podcast. I am your host or co host, Andres Gamboa. And nick's with me today, we got Barry Hart. Welcome to the show, Barry.
1: Hi, everybody. on YouTube.
2: <laughs> and the rest of the internet. Yep. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere, give us a review, share us, give us a like, all those things on Facebook and whatnot. Um, do we want to share this on the Facebook page? Yep, I'll do that with you gotcha. guys will you do the introduction, sir. Yeah, yeah. So Barry here sold for five summers back in the mid to late 80s from, was it 85 to 90 or 86 to 90 or 85, 89? What years was it?
1: 85 to 90.
2: Gotcha. So yeah, selling books out of the, the great University of Purdue. This Boilermaker uh, worked with legend Craig Soder. Um, we're excited to, to find out more of what your summers were like, Barry, because we don't know anything else about you. <laughs> um, we've been chatting about you for a while um, when announcing the episode's coming up and we've always been really excited because um, we've heard great things about you from Naomi. Um, so yeah. Naomi, our, our new producer, um, yeah. she gave this introduction to Barry, uh, who she met while selling books in Indiana this summer. So yeah, uh, let's, let's start off this episode by thanking you so much for your time. Uh,
1: welcome to Ponytails. Great, thanks for having me. I think it's a great idea and it's a, it's a really great thing what you guys are doing. Um, uh, I saw some reviews. I, I tried not to listen to the podcast because I wanted it to, to sort of be fresh. I kind of wanted to see what I was in for though. Oh yeah. And uh, There was a couple of reviews that said, I don't even, I've never sold books before, but this podcast is hilarious. So it's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> well, that's a compliment. Oh uh, yeah, that's that's really nice. We, we decided to do it just because, actually the same reason why you ended up on the show. Uh, Naomi bumped into you you guys had uh, you know just sharing drinks or whatever just kind of chatting about your experience and those moments I we've all had those moments with people that we didn't know or that we knew and you look back on this experience and you go man that's crazy and a lot of times people who were with us who did sell or didn't sell would always be intrigued by these stories and that's kind of where the inspiration came from was this exact the reason you're here right it's just this idea of you did this in the late 80s we did this in the early 2010s and we can still i've never met you in my life and we can still share this crazy experience
2: and, and connect in that in that way same so, language same culture yeah. so
1: yeah, the brother, yeah it's a brotherhood man, book yeah. man oh yeah book with some sisters in there of
2: course right <laughs> which quick plug <laughs> next month is going to be all book ladies we're excited to um raise funds for cancer support uh, breast cancer support Um, It's an organization called um, Real Men Wear Pink. Um, They do a lot of fundraising for um, not just breast cancer awareness, right, but also research and support for patients and their families when they go through their medical uh, healing and all the expensive costs they're in. So uh, stay tuned for all those, but let's dive into your story, Barry. Let's hear about...
1: I'll I'll plug that. I'm on the board of the Susan uh, Susan Coleman Foundation. Oh, cool. and, And I'm a pharmacist, so... Yes, Love it. Love yeah, it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So obviously, um, we'll we'll have an awesome month this next month to go more in detail on that. But let's turn to your story. Uh, we're excited to hear about who was Barry Hart as a young kid in college, um, hanging out on Purdue. That's West Lafayette, right? Is where that's located? All right. So yeah. tell us about how you got recruited.
1: So it, it's, um, I was recruited by one of my fraternity brothers, a uh, guy named, John Hetwer, And another one of my fraternity brothers was an organizational leader who recruited like 20, 30 people every year. He was really good. His name was Rob Lukowski. Ended up being one of my best friends. But uh, so I was uh, in high school. There was a guy from North Carolina who showed up at my house. He was driving a little bike with a basket on the front. And he had these two big, uh, thick blue books that were the Webster's student handbooks. And uh, he stopped at my house. Uh, they demoed the books, you know, typical my mom gave the money objection. And I said, I'll buy them. You know, I, I want them. I was a junior um, in 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 college. No one in my family had ever been to college. So I was gonna, you know, hopefully be the first person to, to go to college. We were poor. I mean, we had a wood burning stove to heat our house. That's just kind of an you know, idea, lived on a lake. Um, so this guy wasn't in Big Brick when he knocked on my door.
2: Mm-mm, no, <laughs> uh, the
1: books were eighty bucks. I remember that because I bought them myself. Wow! So I paid half, half down and um, and then I uh, I paid for the rest. So I, I was familiar with the books, right? Uh, and I and I knew what they looked like. And I saw them in my fraternity brothers' um uh, in his room, and I was like, I was like, hey, I bought those books when I was in high school. And he goes, oh! He goes, let me tell you about this internship. <laughs> <laughs> Got him, <laughs> you know. So yeah, so I was I was really interested, but I um I was on the wrestling team at Purdue. I was uh, a four time All State, and I was a undefeated state champion. So I had a full scholarship. Great. So I didn't I didn't really need the money. And the summertime, you know, in the summertime, we would 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 wrestle, you know, and and uh, just continue to improve our craft. So I. I did that my freshman year. I, I worked and I and I wrestled. So I, I thought my sophomore year would be the same thing. But uh, but I'll tell you what I, I got to college and the Big Ten was was tough. I mean I was getting my ass beat, all over the mat by, by these studs in the room, and and I was I was having a bit of a, uh, identity crisis. You know you go from being a, you know sort of being the best to being in the Big Ten and in a room where everybody's a state champion. Mm, right. And uh I had a little taste um and the other thing was you know I was cutting weight and I don't know if you know anything about wrestling but got to cut a lot of weight. Yeah, I was yes. recruited for 126 and I was cutting down from 152 mm. and just having a tough time of it. And uh my my sophomore year I was able to wrestle in some tournaments, preseason tournaments, three weight classes above the class I was recruited for. And I, I did really well, you know, I was placing and I, I talked to the coach about it. He's like, look, man, we got you, we got you slotted at 126. That's what we're paying you for. You know, you got You got to make the cut. So in the back of my head, I was like, I could make enough to pay for my college, you know, on my own. I could, I wouldn't have to cut weight. You know, I could do what I want. I could live the way I want to live. I wouldn't feel this crushing obligation because I tell you what wrestling Um, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of culture in wrestling. It's a lot like the army or anything. You don't want to let your teammates down. Mm. That was a big motivation. I, I I was like, man, I could make $4,000, you know, in a summer. (laughs) That was, that was a check back then. That was the pitch, (laughs) study hard and teachable and do 30 demos a day. You know, the average person can make, get a check for $4,000 and, you know, just to give you an idea. Uh, school for an entire year with, with room board tuition was only five grand. Oh, wow. Okay. So You know, in my mind, I could, I could maybe, maybe earn, you know, an entire, entire years with the tuition. I wouldn't be obligated, you know, to, to cut weight and, and buy that scholarship. Right. So that, that had, that had a lot of appeal to me. Hmm. And, uh, and plus I just, I was having an identity crisis. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, I find interesting is what motivates a kid to do to do anything. You know, and usually um, I kind of kind of learned that when you have a void in your life, that determines your values. You know, like the classic one is, you know, hey, my mom had had cancer growing up, so I became a health advocate and went to college and became a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, had a void. Mom died of cancer. You become a doctor. Well, I had we you know we were poor. Um, and, uh, and there wasn't, you know, my family was pretty, uh, blue collar, hardworking folks. So, you know, my void was, uh, was a little bit of shame, you know, we're the poor kids. And so my value became kind of, uh, perfectionism, getting straight A's, you know, going to pharmacy school. Why? Well, if you look at the, it had the highest starting salary of any major they had. So I just checked that box you know, for no, I was like, I didn't know anything about it. And, um, and, you know, in wrestling and all those things. So I, that was kind of what, what was, was motivating me. And it's a little bit like, I've learned that those things are, are cool, but ultimately they're, they're a dysfunctional why, right? Mm. You just, um, so everybody has a why and uh, you know, sometimes they can evolve into a more Um, solid why but for me it was like hey I don't want to be poor you know and I want to and I I wasn't I wasn't killing it in the big 10 my freshman my freshman sophomore year in wrestling so I wanted to find something else to be good at you know where I could feel good about myself and uh selling books seemed like the right thing he's like can you work hard hell yeah I can work hard can you study hard I'm in pharmacy school that's all I do is study hard can you be teachable yeah, I'm getting coached. I've been coached my entire life. So if those are the only three requirements, I should do really well at this job, you know, is what I was thinking. Right. At the time. So Wow. So,
0: Dang and- I mean it was a quick follow up on that real quick. So so as far as what part of the year is this? Is this like really early on in like in that in, in like a like how long did you have to prepare for the summer? What was it like for you like as you were learning these things and you started going through this process of of learning how to sell boats?
1: Yeah. Well, so I, I heard about it in the fall oh. and they really leaned on me in the spring and I, I hadn't given it the same amount of thought that I just articulated to you guys until about the last two weeks of school.
2: Really? Oh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had had a whole other season of wrestling behind me and, oh, wow. you know, and I could kind of see, and I just got accepted to pharmacy school, uh, in the second, second year. So that was, that was good and fortuitous. And I was like, okay, you know, I got to start thinking about the rest of my life after wrestling. I can't, you know, wrestling is not something you can often make a career out of and make money. Right. You know, when I was in I was in a major, I could, and it's not something you can do with your buddies. Like I might say to you guys, let's go golf, but I'm not going to say, Hey dudes, come over to my house. I got a mat in the basement, man.
0: (laughs) I mean, it'd be really strange. Yeah. Right.
1: (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So wrestling yeah. is a very like gritty sport, right? And obviously, it requires that mental toughness that's super crucial for doing well in books. Um, I, you know, I was thinking we were remembering our friend Kane Quek from Northern Iowa, um, and how he was actually a wrestler um, mm. when he was recruited to sell books, and he was like the number two first year. He was just like always putting in long hours and just crushing right. it. Um, so not to like set you up, were you like the number two first year, or maybe number one, or maybe how did that first summer go? Sometimes, yeah,
1: well, I was number one at Purdue. There
2: you Um, go. That's how you do
1: it by a margin. Um, and I was number 17, yeah, in the country that that first year. My goal was, um, you know, first, my goal is to hit Sizzler, of course, and and then, uh you know you have this sort of other motivations and so my my best friend Wayne Lagaki was like he was like a brother surrogate father best friend just like my just like an all around solid solid dude and he he was he was uh such a supporter so my goal was to win two sizzlers so that I could take him with me wow that that was my motivation there you go and, uh, yeah so i got two sizzlers and and we went and I still got i still have the pictures i looked at them yesterday
2: where was sizzler that summer or Cancun. that cancun, that was cancun my first yeah, two years
1: of cancun and oh, we've yeah. got you know chili wheelies. we got some crazy stories from
0: oh, yeah, from sizzler. yeah well, i mean awesome. you can totally share those as you as as they come up for sure
1: that's kind of ponytails is all of the tales right yeah um, um, yeah that, that one some of those are for another time. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> of course, of
0: course, Oh man. let me let me and just because sometimes we have people who are listening who don't who didn't sell books, so they don't get the lingo sizzler is if you don't know the incentive trip that you win when you hit a certain benchmark. So you have to like, every year it changes because obviously different people like $4,000 was a lot in the 80s. Now people are making like 80 grand a summer. So it's like inflation, right? But basically, right. If,
1: you,
0: if you hit this benchmark in the top salespeople, then you get to go to this all-paid trip, in, usually to Mexico, uh, sometimes different locations, exotic locations, to just kind of hang out for a week with everyone else. that hit it, and it's a blast. It's a crazy, crazy fun trip. So for anybody listening, that's what Sizzler is. You won two of those in your first summer. That's a that's a that's quite the achievement there. So nice, nice job there. It's pretty, uh,
1: pretty solid summer. Where was that first summer? Uh, so I was in Burke Burnett, Texas. Um, Which is by Lawton, I think, in Oklahoma. It was like Texas, Oklahoma, on the border. Cool, cool. And and dude, it was. I mean, it was rough. It was uh, so in the eighties. There was uh, there was an oil boom, Mm -hmm. and that town's nickname was Boomtown. And and then it went bust. Ooh. So it was one of those places where you know I see the I see the billboard, and it was like if you ever played the computer game Fallout. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like this post apocalyptic billboard says Burke Burnett, boom town, and it's all faded and you know nobody had any jobs. Whoa. And it was uh, you know, and I'm How did not you adapt cool. to that? I I didn't know any better. Yeah, you know, i mean, of course. I remember the first the first week. Um uh, and this is I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to my my business partner I started a business with and I sold bookstored over five years. His name's Eric Young. So Eric, Eric was in, uh, when we were in sales school, and we're learning our uh, sales talk, you know, I remember, and, and Eric was this little, you know, he's this Asian guy, he's very, like, quiet, and I was, like, I was saying to my, my group, listen, man, we're going to have to pull Eric by the bootstraps, you know, this guy's not going to make it. I mean, he's, like, super quiet, and he's, like, super scared, <laughs> and, you know, and he was number one the first week. There you <laughs> so go. We had over 200 units, and, wow. and I was, like, dude, like, how? how how did you do it you know he just stuck to the program you know he just did the demos he kept on kept on knocking i thought i did okay because i i i I had three zero days in a row i still remember the first week i sold up cookbook on thursday and i ended up with 109 units the first week and he had over 250 and uh he had you know he had a great summer so
2: so he was in your HQ, you're saying?
1: He he was uh, he was in uh, he wasn't in my HQ, but he was okay. in my organization. Yeah, my HQ. I mean, we had a bunch of hardworking guys, uh, and uh, you know, they we were told all territories suck, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's true. I think it's probably true. Uh, there was um, the power division was there before me, and there was a ton of. Power books and and I was like, okay, I can't sell anything. But then I kind of flipped the script in my mind. I was like, okay, well that means they're buyers. Exactly. You know? So at least at least they can buy something, you know. So I was getting by by adding on cookbooks and phone with Learning or, you know, or just the dictionary part of the Webster Student Handbook. Nice. And uh, I ended up hitting PC my seventh and eighth week. I only hit it twice that summer, but it was pretty consistent all summer long and just just really then it was a lot of a lot of grinding you know it's kind of taking the wrestling mentality that the difference is you know wrestling you can work hard okay i can do that but the emotional component of selling books and the emotional intelligence it takes it's just so different you know in sports or in athletics you, you can focus on just overcoming your pain you know it's a little simpler it's like, it's a little more about domination. It's a little more about going forward, you know, and you can do that to some extent selling books. But I mean, I feel like your approaches are, are terrible. If you just knock on the door and you're, and you're, you're, you're broken inside, you know, <laughs> there would be, t- I mean, I'd knock on the door and I'd literally, my lip would be, you know, quivering and, 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 and I get blown out. I mean, guys were like, what are you doing, boy? Get off his porch, you know. <laughs> Go get a real job. <laughs> and I was like, you know, these Texas dads just intimidate. They would intimidate me, and and they were pissed because they weren't working. You know, they were just so that. I mean, that neighborhood, that that area was, was rough. It was negative. And there was a time I'll tell you about this. This time I was, um, I was sitting on my book bag, and it was some podunk town somewhere outside of um burke burnett and back then we had maps you know the only way to get from a place was you had to buy a map buy a <laughs> county course. map so you know like a, an actual paper map and a lot of times they had um the population on the map so i, I saw this town it had population of 300 so in my mind i was like okay they're they'll be friendly Um, If I can sell one or two people, then I'll, you know, they're probably all related. Like I'm thinking about all this, Um, but I'm just, you know, so I got there. The first two farmers kind of blew me off and and I'm sitting on my book bag and I'm just bawling my eyes out and I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to quit. I I can still remember this. I was so um, ashamed of like, I'm going to quit, you know? Mm and i and i didn't know i didn't know what to do and but my ol had told me if i ever feel like i'm gonna quit i gotta call him so i drove to a gas station because all there were were pay phones back then i i called collect back to nashville back to hq and the dude said to me he's like he's like what's going on how do you feel and i was telling him about how i felt and you know, how shamed I was. I was like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not doing great in wrestling. I'm not doing great at this. I'm just like, I finally figured out, you know, I've hit my wall. Now I know my limits and I'm just going to fail. And he's like, he's like, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down everything you're telling me right now. So we, we spent a bunch of time writing on my order book. And then he said, I want you to go into the bathroom. I want you to fill the sink up with water. And then, and then call me back. I'm like, okay. So I went in, filled the sink up with water. I called him back. And he goes, I want you to tear up every everything on that on that piece of the order book. I want you to put it in the sink and pull the plug. And as it goes down, I want you to say all my troubles and all my fears and wash away. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right, dude. All right. You know, everything he's saying, I'm hanging on by a thread, like, like it's gospel. And I never heard talk like this before. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I didn't grow up hearing about how to manage your emotions or how to um, like deal with this kind of stress, you know, and this kind of like mental, you know, you're breaking. And so I did that and I felt better. It was amazing. You know, I was like, I felt better. I called him back, you know, and I went out and uh, finished out the day. I, I hit superstar sample case that summer. So, you know, when I screwed around like that for an hour and a half, I mean, it was you had to make up for it. You had to go get demos you had to go you know find a way to um find a way to keep going and and uh from then on i just focused on effort for the rest of that summer and uh and and it sort of carried you know carried me through it ended up in in production
0: and let me let me dig into that because i mean you you had mentioned that <clears throat> you'd been coached your entire life right you'd been coached by and i, I, I we've all had amazing amazing coaches probably outside of of southwestern but this was the first time that someone had coached you emotionally like what i mean you know what i mean it's kind of shocking to hear that you know when you've been coached your entire life you would think that these people who were coaching you in sports would give you like emotional coaching on losing and winning and all these different like you know ego and like because because you were a hot shot obviously probably going into high school if you're going to go wrestle at a big 10 school you must have been a stud right and so then when you get to this new era and you're you were talking about earlier your you're not a, you know everyone else is good that's kind of what southwestern was like too you know you, you're you're expecting to be uh amazing at this you get there and everyone else around you is also really really sharp and yeah. so what was that like for you looking back now you know how impactful was that for you when you finally had someone who cared or maybe, well, i'm sure your other coaches cared but when you have finally had somebody who gave you this kind of coaching and how did how did you feel like that shaped you not just in that summer maybe but
1: like throughout you know what was that like well it was um it really was the first exposure to emotional coaching uh you know the coaching i hate to use the word old school but uh you know if you ever watched bobby knight you know and who's your basketball and you kind of see you know or, or woody hayes you know screaming at the um screaming at the kids coaching was more about get your head out of your ass um uh, you know, rub some dirt on it. That's, that's what coaching was. You know, it was, it's like, Hey man, I'm really scared. Uh, you know, don't be a, don't be afraid. If you're scared, you know, you're going to go run laps. And it, that's, that's really what, what coaching was. And, and in college, I mean, the meat grinder, you know, the big 10, it was like, I was like, Hey coach, I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm having a hard time making weight. And it was like, well, that's what we recruited you for. So make the weight. You don't, you know, you don't have a choice. Um, That's what we're paying you for. So, so reading Ogmandino. Yeah. To to go to sales school and, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, encountering Christians that were pretty, you know, that were great Christians and, uh, you know, just, just people who were emotionally intelligent was, that was completely new to me. I mean, I didn't, my parents weren't taught. Uh, my My father, my father was, was disabled. He's been disabled since I was like six, um, and so he his he lived a life of fear. You know, he can't go anywhere or do anything. So um, that wasn't a great role model. You know, my mom worked hard. She was a great role model, but this this whole emotional coaching thing was was it was parenting is what it was. And, you know, I was talking to Naomi about this and and she's like, oh yeah, the kids nowadays are so soft. I'm like, like, what the hell? You're 35 years younger than me. I'm thinking you're a kid and she's talking about the 18 year olds, you know? I'm like, what is it? What's the difference between then and now about about what motivates, you know, the students to succeed and what is the definition of success? Like, what do they, what do they say now? Do they talk about, do they talk about units? Do they talk about, you know, that was our thing. It was like, you want to get in that, that book. That's (laughs)
2: definitely a a big motivator. And we've got, you know, inside jokes of you are your units. Yeah, sure. But also um, the, they've done a really good job of creating the whole um, skills and character piece as like the most important thing, even those that, Maybe aren't producing as much as they'd like to in books. Um, like our last episode with Alex Soto, he stuck around for quite a while without busting loose. He eventually did it in his eighth and final summer this past year, jumping you know almost six thousand units. Um, so there's there's a lot of um, atmosphere of growth for sure, um, growth in any way possible. Yeah. Uh, but also it's it's the same program. You're selling the same product in the same style. Of helping your kids with their education, people still care about that, right? Yeah, so there's all yeah. these core, you know, um, you know, core principles, obviously, mm-hmm. and core experiences that each each book person kind of has. Um, the The real kind of different thing is they call themselves the education girl, the education man, um, on like their Facebook pages um so they're no longer explicitly the book men the book the book oh, yeah. girls so oh, yeah it was a bit controversial danny danny um oh. andre's younger brother actually pitched that uh he's a dsm for the company and um pushed that because a lot of people at the door are like yeah books uh but
0: well, education lands well and i was and this is actually kind of curious i'd be this would be a good like exchange to see how the culture was back then versus now but so there is some of that where your units you are your units and what we mean by that if you know, then sell books is like oh, you know a, a high level producer would be today considered seven thousand to ten thousand units, and if you hit that mark, then you have the you know the clout in in the company. People look up to
2: you. Someone you, sold twenty six thousand units this yeah, summer. Yeah, but that's
0: not the point. The point is Just saying yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But the point is like people people still look up to people who are high producers, and those people tend to be the ones that are like oh right and they walk on it right but at the same time i think something that's really changed because from my experience i was big and i think it started getting almost in a point where it was almost toxic in a way when i was selling where they had to really figure out how to shift that because now for example and i am still connected because my brother is a dsm and they really preach a lot about growth and so people who don't sell a lot are still celebrated in their own way for you know putting in the effort um, but but there is still a lot of that clout of of you know if you are a high producer, you know the book that you're talking about is a high producer book. They have like a like a magazine type thing where at the end, it's like, yeah, it's called the Superstar Book, and they they, they put all the top people in there, right? and so the, your goal is to be on there too. But you asked the question, you know, what is success? And so for me, I had I had luck, like, you know, Yvette, um, Keister, Grant Greeter. I don't know if you if you were they came right after you left, but they did a really good job, at least in our organization to preach that success is just hitting the goals. And Mm -hmm. and Augmentino talks about this, right? Failure is defined the same way. Failure is the inability to hit your goals. But success can be defined by a 1000 different ways. And so, you know, to me, you know, the way it was trained to me when I was going through the program was, if you if you set the goal of selling 2000 units, even though everyone else is selling 4000 or whatever, then and you hit that goal, then you succeeded. Like you did what you needed to do to hit your goal. And so the trick wasn't necessarily hitting your goal. It was figuring out what the correct goal was for you that was uncomfortable, but reachable. Uh, and yeah. maybe like a little bit above that. And so things I'd be curious to see, cause it sounds like back then it was, they were preaching like units, 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 units. And so that, that I feel like that adds so much pressure and it makes people feel like their value is tied realistically, even though there is still some of that, like. Tied to their production was that, was that. It sounds like that was the case. Is that
1: correct? Yeah, I I think so. Like that's that's my memory. Um, and also, for example, my OL Rob I had no idea that he wasn't a great producer. I had no idea. He recruited twenty people, you know, and and he would. Uh, I never actually did get to follow him, but he he became one of my my best friends in life afterwards. So I that's how I got the window into. Yeah. I mean, he could barely, I mean, he barely, he had like 1100 units his first summer. Um, maybe he had sizzle or I, I can't remember, uh, but he was great at recruiting and he was great at managing, you know, and he was great at keeping people on track and on schedule. I mean, he was a true, he was a true leader. He's president of our uh, fraternity. And I've since learned in life there, there's a huge difference between producers, um, leaders and managers on all different levels. You know, we, we had this thing that we in lean and six Sigma that we, a story that we teach about the super welders, you know, the super welder is the guy who can weld better than anybody else. He makes, you know, a hundred thousand, $200,000 a year. He goes underwater. He's a great welder. Okay. You, does that guy want to be promoted to construction supervisor? I mean, no, you know, he's great at welding and, you know, I heard Dave Rosen on like that's the first podcast I was he was around, and you know I was around in his day, and he was like a superstar, you know. And Michelle Maloney, um, we ended up marrying. Gotta get her
2: on. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So you know they were, they were great producers, and um, but I they weren't as they, from my perspective, they weren't the leader or the manager that Rob was. But you know I didn't know as a rookie as a as a second year thirty. I had no idea that Rob wasn't producing, you know, that well. So there was a lot, there was a lot of focus on that. A lot of focus on superstar sample case and um, old seal gold and for, for good reason. Cause if you're going to succeed, you have to do those things. You don't have to, but that's a bad model. Like some of these really talented people who could, who could just do it. That, that's not a great, yeah. I had four demos, three sales, all of them were the box. I mean, that's not something you want to, promote in the company
2: not replicatable
0: yeah it's not sustainable either like yeah. some people are just talented and they, they can do that but it's not something that the average person can like attach to like
2: what was your experience um when it came to the res- recruiting side of things and building out teams and training other people how to do the deal do the deal
1: yeah i i so first of all i really liked it i liked the recruiting part um my you know pharmacy school was was and, and and wrestling just made it really hard for me to do, to do both. But I really liked meeting with the parents and talking to them about it because I could genuinely tell them that this was going to be the best freaking experience that their that their child ever encountered, and to not be afraid. So I, I mean I I was good at like selling that part because, you know, energy wise, it's the undeniable absolute truth of the universe. And if, you know, if you want to not let them do that, make that decision, okay. But it's the best decision that anybody could ever, I think, that anybody could make. And uh, so I like that part. And I, my third year, I had a, um, I had a, a superstar team. Uh, we had six students and we had two girls. Uh, Lori and Angie had, you know, they were, they were beautiful, smart. Lori was in pharmacy school with me, ended up being my girlfriend Then ended up marrying my OLs. <laughs>
0: typical that's southwestern crazy. love story right that still hasn't changed either
2: <laughs> oh,
1: i bet i mean the fight mean, he's like after we were dating i was like i'm not sure if we're really right for each other she's like yeah, yeah. i don't know either she's like i think i like rob and i'm like I'm like what like for five seconds i'm really pissed then i'm like yeah cool rob that's that's awesome because there could, could be a better guy
2: there you go <laughs>
1: have fun um but no that team was So, and we were in New Jersey that summer and, uh, and the team. So this is a good, I think the team really pushed me because Lori, Lori, and especially, uh, Lori and Angie, they were, they were just killing it. Their first years, you know, and they're hitting, they're hitting president's club. And I was like, third week. And I'm like, oh no, I'm like, "I, I, I gotta hit president's club. I can't have my, my team, you know, doing better. Um, and then I, I. I cracked the code. That was the summer that I cracked the code on on production. That was your third summer you said? It was my third summer. I you know, one of the like one of the code cracking things was uh using third party selling when you get when you get a really yes influential member of the community. Names. Also I, yeah, so I sold Skip um uh Skip Thompson, who was the chief of police for the town of Somerset, New Jersey and he wrote a check for the whole thing. So I kept his check.
2: There you go. And I
1: kept like 20 other checks. And then I would say, you know, during the close, I'd say what well, a lot of people do, like like Skip, the Skip Thompson, the, the uh, chief of police, they just write a check for the whole thing. And like so-and-so, and so-and-so. <laughs> and I would just keep doing it until they finally said, okay, 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 I'll write a check for half, or whatever. And, and that was, uh, that, that I hit PC seven times that summer. Nice. And after that summer, and I, my check was t- about twenty four thousand dollars that summer.
2: Not too shabby.
1: Which, which, dude, that was like again, college was five grand. So, I said to myself, "What the hell am I doing in college? Like, why? Why am I even in pharmacy school? I hate it. First of all, it's just, it's just so mind-numbingly, you know, not fun, um, and." And I had, I had ruptured my disc in wrestling and I refused to have surgery. So I needed time for recovery. So I, I talked to my coach, I talked to my counselor and I said, I'm going to take, I'm going to take uh, school off, you know, and I'm going to pay for my scholarship. I'm going to give it back and split it between Fernando. And there was a couple of guys on the team because I had enough money now to pay for school, you know, four times over hmm. between that was my third summer. And I went with two book guys to Europe and we just backpacks $1,500 strapped in a fanny pack on my belly. <laughs> and we, we went to London. Um, we split up after the second week. I met an aerobics instructor and lived with her for like three weeks. Um, but we, together, Mark, one of the guys I was with, we backpacked up to Inverness, Scotland. And, uh, and this was like, this was back when the world wasn't so crazy. And, you know, I was like, we got to find Loch Ness Monster, man. We got to find Nessie. You know, <laughs> let's go, let's go looking for Nessie. And we spent like an all a whole day looking. And then I was like, this is, this is, this is hard, this hiking. So we went to this farmer's house and I asked him if, and I knew how to ride horses. I grew up with one of my best friends had a horse farm, so I could ride like nobody's business. I said, Hey man, can we rent your horses? Um, and I'm like, I can ride English. It's all good. I can ride bareback. So for 20 bucks, I rented both two of his horses all day. And we rode all over the, the lock, just looking for the monster. And, you know, it was so great. So great. And then That was beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's so, you know, all of this came because I sold books.
2: Yeah.
1: And it opened my mind to something other than like, you know, the small town that I grew up in and and uh and tom rossi he's the guy who uh one of the guys i went with and he's like hey man want to go to europe and i'm like yeah yeah i i I just (laughs) the perfect chance for me to to find myself
2: so did you go anywhere beyond scotland i'm curious because like europe has such an old history compared to america right it's (laughs) You know, ten times as long, if not twenty times, thirty times well, compared to the United States. Not, America. not the American. Yeah. Well, clo- <laughs> but clo- <yes>. colonized America. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> America, America. Yes. Um,
1: yeah. So we went to. Uh, so we jumped on a ferry. We went uh, took the ferry across to France. I experienced seasickness for the first time. Nice. And uh, that, that was that was horrific. Um, we see. We we went to. Oh, this is this is so. This is book, you know, book people party hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like really We're not hard. dull is what that it, means. It's not,
1: no. Work it's, hard, play harder. <laughs> you know, I think I just side note from when I got back my first summer, I felt I felt special. Like I felt like I had been exposed to knowledge that nobody else yeah. has. And I'm looking at my peers and I felt like you guys, you know the whole world's black and white, you know, and I'm like me and the book guys are the only ones in color, you know, and and uh, you're thinking about all of these these things, you know. I listen to Tony Robbins was like in his infancy back then. I listen to every Tony Robbins tape, you know. I I listen to just all summer long. You're pouring all this positive reinforcement into your brain. You know, freshman, sophomore, junior year, I have all this money, and so we went to Amsterdam, and uh, I'm like, "Whoa, Amsterdam!" And I'm like, "What's this? This red light district? This is crazy! You know, there's human beings standing in a window selling themselves. There's something called space cakes, you know, <laughs> it, just just crazy, right? And I, like, I'm I'm just this guy, right? I I I hadn't I didn't drink my first drink until I was twenty-one. <laughs> so, so I'm in Amsterdam with Tom Rossi. Um, and uh, Tamarasi was an OL and a sister organization, but yeah. So in Amsterdam, I, uh, so all these teeth are, are crowns because I've, I've broken my teeth out in wrestling so many times. Jeez. You know, it's a, it's, it's a rough sport. So I had four um, fake teeth then. And one of them, I'll never forget. I was telling Naomi this story and I know this is going to haunt me forever since it's public, but <laughs> I'm in a bar and I fall off the stool and hit my mouth on the bar. And I knock out one of my teeth. So it's it's on the ground somewhere, and I'm crawling on the floor, sort of looking for this tooth. And this guy thought I was looking for a cigarette but one of these Danish guys, and <laughs> a cigarette but No, and I, you know, I had to repair my tooth. It's book, it's book field, right? It's just Europe. Found the tooth, got some gum, stuck it in my mouth. I held it in place with bubble gum
2: gross I've never heard
1: of bubble yeah that was that's what I did for the next 14 weeks oh my to, you know, gosh my keys in place
2: <laughs> you so, were in Europe
1: for that hey, long hey you
0: just solved the problems you were just solving yeah, problems of course. <laughs> solving problems were you in, in Europe
1: for,
2: for 14 weeks Is I was that in Europe doing?
1: for 18 weeks
2: wow that, it was so you went other places beyond Amsterdam place. France
1: you know and I, I read 40 45 books I read Atlas shrug. Hmm. I read the whole foundation series from Isaac Asimov. I read, I mean, I just kept reading books and like expanding my mind. Um, I shared a—I uh, shared an ice cream cone with, uh, a bird in Piccadilly circus park in London and got <laughs> sick as hell from eating after the bird. What the hell was I thinking? And we, uh, We were in piccadilly circus we went into the basement of uh these guys waved us in and uh so me and three college guys this group from you know indiana um and the girls were really nice and they asked me to buy them drinks and so i did and i had no idea what was actually happening
0: right you
1: know and uh what was happening is we were expected to pay you know over a hundred dollars for the company which none of us was going to pay. <laughs> and so this was a situation where, where they were, uh, they were, I was scared. I was intimidated. You know, the guys were threatening to, 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 to beat us up and kill us. And, um, and uh, we got into a fight. Dang. and <laughs> Okay. Escaped. Nice. Wow. You know, my parents knew the stupid things that I was doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I would never let my, 20-year-old son go to Europe with a bunch of money right now yeah Uh, yeah yeah well and it's interesting because you said like
0: i want to go back to something you said which is a sentiment that i don't know it 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 sounds kind of almost condescending but it's not where you mentioned that everybody else is seeing black and white and we're seeing color and it it, it's 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 not even like from a superiority standpoint it's just from like uh so so i grew up i came from columbia grew up in grand island nebraska tiny little Mm -hmm. town in nebraska and like well, yeah small town and there's i have friends who have never left the state at all and you look at that and you look you're happy they're married kids doing great right but you think about these like you your experience like nick's had crazy experience in other countries yeah. i've had crazy experience in other countries and and you think and you look at those people and you go man like what maybe ignorance is bliss and it's nice to live in a life like that, where it's simple and it's easy. Um, and then other times you see people where it's like, man, if you only read, you know, scroll number five from, you know, if only, if, if, if you only knew, you know, I will, I will greet this day with love of my heart or, or, or I will persist like something like that, where it could, it could really change your life just by giving you just that tiny bit of perspective. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how just even the littlest things that you've schedules your lifeline right you like st- sticking to a schedule or 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 using the numbers right you know putting stress on the numbers uh, and and using that as a, as a as a way to success where it's like it's all about just high volume and then it only has to work once type of thing just something that to us now it seems so natural but then you meet someone who is trying to start a business or is trying to do whatever and then you're like man i don't even know where to start to help you or to, to you know to 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 offer some advice, because it seems so simple, yet that's really the the key, and that's really how you turn the color on in life is just by taking these crazy experiences and 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 just learning to fail well, fail successfully. I guess is the is the key. I thought that was really cool that you said that because I've had that feeling towards a lot of my friends who did not sell books, and it's like, man, if you would have just like yeah done this for a week even, you know, where would you yeah be? I mean
1: that, that that's really well said. It it, um, I think what what can come out of it is a sort of a, uh, it opens your eyes, you know, uh, it can, can give you a bit of, um, uh, a little bit of arrogance and naivety, yeah. you know, when your eyes are, are open to that. Uh, and then, but all it does is make your mental muscles stronger so that you can, you can um, experience greater failure. <laughs> which then humbles you again, you know, and then, and then hopefully when you come out of that experience of failure, you come out of it with less arrogance. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's that, that process of learning and you're right. There are people who've never sold books who have their own experiences, who, who, who've experienced failure and heartbreak and everybody has a story, you know, and, uh, uh, it's just we we're bound by our story because we have a common language and it's awesome you know and we live in the united states where a lot of times like this you know this place i live the richest county in 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 the nicest part of the state um we have a tough time uh on the wrestling team getting them to be tough hmm. because they haven't you know their parents are all wealthy and and successful and what is it that they experience that that makes them tough and sometimes they you know they have everything they have the gym they have good nutrition they have great coaching and then the guys from you know gary beat them because they have toughness yeah and southwestern does give you that at least the confidence to try something and know that you you do have some toughness yeah but, uh, yeah 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 because because you hear like this story like you hear the
0: story about your story in Amsterdam or your story in Piccadilly Circus in London and to us it's like yeah that would happen to you because that's happened to him that's happened to me that's happened to all the other 51 guests or whatever that we've had and yeah. all of those people would hear that story and go yeah mm-hmm. and someone maybe again not to sound arrogant not to sound like condescending or something but I've had friends who you would you tell the story to and they're like what like this mind-blowing and yeah it's it's interesting how that works i think you said it perfectly it's just it's controlled hardship is what southwestern is where it's safe hardship right where it's like it's not the hardest thing you're ever going to do being a parent i'm sure is harder marriage is probably harder right the death of family is probably harder but it's something that you can safely put yourself through that's difficult that then helps you just feel like the next thing that's hard isn't as hard anymore it's not as outrageous. It's not as bananas. It puts you in the right
2: mindset. So yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you did well that third summer, um, building a good team of people who did pretty well. Um, tell us how the rest of your, your Southwestern career finished out, and then we can talk about what you did after.
1: Sure. Sure. So, you know, the fourth, the fourth summer was, uh, nothing to write home about. It was, I didn't do as well. Um, in fact, I don't even remember what my units were. I I, I made more money than my first two summers. Um, and then my fifth summer was kind of like, you know, that was the end. I was winding it up and and uh, I was back in upstate New York. Love that place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're in, in upstate New York. Uh, Plattsburgh.
2: Cool. Is that a uh, kind of north um, yeah. towards, towards really the
1: mountains? North. Well, it's close to mountains? the border of Canada. Oh,
2: all the way up I there! My, I think my brother. Yeah. I was on yeah. the then south then was, side of the Adirondack Mountains in Mayfield. Uh, I was way through, west, uh, Johnstown. Um, so yeah, cool, cool.
0: New York, yeah, was, New York, is awesome. What's that? Upstate New York is awesome. It's the shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's beautiful. I mean, I, I went to Canada a couple of times for lunch. Just kind nice. of got off schedule a little bit and drove over there and <laughs> uh, went to Vermont. Um. But well, one of the craziest stories I had and and this is where, you know, I learned something about, about energy, you know, about how um how people can kind of sense your how you are and your sort of like your way of being and how that affects can positively or negatively affect your experiences and your relationship with other people. And there there wasn't a lot of a lot of words that really describe it that I can remember back then, but you know, for example, I used to tell my, um, you know, the uh, my group, what you're thinking of in your mind is what is going to be sensed by the person that you're approaching. So if you're walking up to the to the door and you've got Janet Jackson's, you know, nasty, you know, going in your nasty, nasty boy, you know, and then you knock on the door, <laughs> they're, they're going to open the door and they're going to see a nasty boy, you know, that's what's going to, and they're not going to want to let you in. So think of something else, you know? Um and, and there were times when I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I like, I sort of use the people that I was approaching to, to elevate my mood. Like I'd be yeah. like, okay, I am getting hammered. I feel like crap. I can't take one more person, you know, blow me off the doorstep. So I would knock on the door and they, they'd open the door and they'd have that look on their face and I'd read their body language. And I, I would know it was, I was going to get blown off the porch. And so <laughs> I would go, Oh, great Jehovah. And They'd be like, what? And I'm like, have you heard the word? You know? And, uh-huh. uh, and they would, you know, slam the door on me. And that gave me a laugh, you know? Or I would do just the, the dumbest things that I could, you know, we've all done it, right? You dance, you do something crazy, and um, you're just trying to control your attitude. Um, so yeah, great Jehovah. But uh, or they would let me in. Oh uh I awesome <laughs> stories, but but that last summer, um, I had a girlfriend at, back at Purdue, and I missed her a lot. And, uh, you know, we were calling each other, which is not good. And uh, to make a long story short, I got her out onto the book field. Nice. So the, the Monday after she arrived on, you know, the Sunday meeting, I was un-freaking-stoppable. I mean, this girl, she was a... Uh, cheerleader at Purdue, blonde, five foot tall, blue eyes, that crazy hair, gymnast. And just so like, she was just the queen of energy. And so I remember the first farmhouse I knocked on, I'm like, I'm feeling, she's got my girlfriend with me. This is awesome. You know? And I was like, it's like, hi, my name is Barry. I "I guess you haven't heard about me. And I was feeling (laughs) so confident and she's in the back, you know, stretching and doing her weird, you know, cheerleader stuff. And they're like, we got to let these guys in because it's so interesting. <laughs> and, and I would want to show off for her. So like any fear that I had was completely gone. Now, why does another person take away my fear? You know, why does, why did that change my mindset? You know, what could I do to be that way all the time now when she's around? But I could answer any objection with confidence. We had 13 sales in a row, 13 in a row wow i mean we were like unstoppable you know it's like ah, your neighbors next door just bought you're gonna buy two and then on the last three i tried something that i've always wanted to try which was to sell the sizzle not the steak have you heard that yeah yeah. so so i walked up to the door with no books there you go and just talked to them about the whole thing took out my order pad wrote them up went out got the books i had a red toyota truck brought them in and, and sold them in and i was like that it was like I learned at that point anything is possible, you know, if your energy is right and your attitude is right. And uh, my challenge from then on was like, how can I do this without, like, her as my crutch, mm-hmm. so to speak? Um, but you gotta, you gotta start somewhere. And yeah, that was pretty amazing. We all on scheduled one day and watched Ghost. I don't know if you ever heard with heard Patrick that Swayze. Name.
2: That's a classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were like, in the theater that's awesome
1: so we're holding each other and our, our cheeks are touching we're crying <laughs> and like, it's a beautiful film man that was oh, crazy that's great
2: so yeah. that was that was back in 1990 then right
1: that was back in 1990
2: cool yep. and craig Soder was your sales manager as you were mentioning right what was uh what was your relationship with him like
0: rest in peace craig Soder. shout out to yeah a huge amazing human but yeah great yeah
1: so so his guy was Joel Broadbent. I don't know if you've heard of Joel Broadbent. Not yet. Joel was, Joel was married, ended up marrying Michelle Malone. Okay. So they were, I don't know if they're still married. I, I'm not really sure what's going on with Joel. Um, I heard he had cancer, but survived it. But so Joel was, um, Joel was the Craig Soder in training. So he was back in Nashville, reported directly to, to Craig. And so he was my guy. So so Craig, Craig was more like the guy on the pedestal that you know I didn't really have access to. And Joel was the guy who I told you the story about, you know, troubles down the drain. Um, he was fantastic. He came out and sold with me a couple of times, uh, and and I was like, this is a guy who like hit seven thousand units. I was like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> I I was expecting magic. You know, I was expecting people to just open up their, you know, open up their wallets, but he was just like anybody else. You know, he just had, he had good belief and he worked hard. And, um, so that helped me see too, that just following the system was a, was a pathway to success. You didn't have to be necessarily, you know, talented. Yeah. So, yeah. So Craig, so Craig was just that, that guy on the pedestal that I really thought highly of and, um, you know when he talked everybody listened and he was kind of like a father figure mm. you know you wanted to be like him
2: he was very yeah. light-hearted i remember loving that about him because um before he passed he was uh, still recruiting with southwestern um rec- recruiting <laughs> kids of alumni across the country so people would be like hey office of southwestern i want my kid to sell books how how do i get that set up and so what he'd either reach out to people or people would send them to him um, and so I remember him um, just like fondly remembering back in the, the 80s and 90s working with people like Todd McWhorter. Um, I don't know if you ever worked yeah, with Oh, him. yeah, Todd
1: McWhorter. Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
2: And yep. then there was like Corey Smith and, um, you know, tons of huge names. Of course, Dave Rosen, Bill Zizzy. Did you interact with all these people back in the day?
1: Absolutely. Bill Zizzi. Bill Zizzy was like, he was this big kind of chubby guy who was like so just dominant you know he was funny but i mean he was like so confident Mm. you know i I just i just remember being impressed by his confidence dave rosen also too i was like okay i I see how they're doing it you know michelle michelle maloney to me was unrelatable she would say just let them by just let them by (laughs) and i was like what does that even mean like how Uh is that actually let you know but um but bill but bill and dave were full of techniques you know and that's that's how my mindset was back then i was like oh i just need the technique i need the magic phrase um yeah those were those are some big names and yeah. and that's what i mean by we we're very we we're very production oriented because we elevated the people who who produced fantastically
0: yeah, yeah. also rest in peace bill zizzy um yeah oh, so yeah. to hear that yeah that's a, that's a that's a story for another time probably but yeah. uh yeah it, it, I'm curious though, because we were talking about, you know, your fifth summer, you busted loose and it sounded like you found some rhythm. So then what what happened? So now we're here in 2021. So that's, we're sitting at, tell us about like the career that happened after, how did Southwestern really help, you know, you get to now and kind of like, what were some of the major milestones that kind of led to where you're at now?
1: So I, I want to say that it's a, I want to say that everything is kind of a double-edged sword. Like I feel, I feel like there's, ultimately balance in and I've learned you know I guess at this point in my life there's good in every bad situation and there's there's bad in every good situation if you just look hard enough for it. So um so what you said about hey man maybe ignorance is bliss. You know when you come when you have these experiences with Southwestern and you see things that you could have and you see what's possible. The downside of that is the suffering that comes with with being separated from from that possible? You know, the shoulds in your mind. I should be this. I should do that. I have the capability of being X, Y, Z, and I'm not there. So, you know, having that suffering is something that uh, that I gained in Southwestern. So I gained a lot of skills, and I gained really broad shoulders to take a lot of take on a lot of stress. And I've attracted a lot of. A lot of that, that challenge you know mm-hmm. um, and so so I'm just kind of telling you philosophy here so I, I feel like what I learned in southwestern is growth comes on the knife edge balance between challenge and support like too much challenge and you just get you, you, you burn out it's like I can't do it anymore um, too much support and and you're bored so you you know it, you have to be sort of on the Uh, in the middle where you're challenged enough that you can still succeed after trying hard and and uh when i graduated uh college i was like i can't be a pharmacist like i i went i started working in a pharmacy in a hospital and dude it was so boring like i'm i'm counting pills i'm answering questions i'm you know i'm making good money and I would literally, I would go home every night, and uh, and I was miserable, man. I was like, I can do so much more in my life. I just, and you know, I talked to my my mom about it, and she and she would say, your perspective is screwed up, man. You, you know, you're a pharmacist. It's great. It's honorable. You're making so much money, and you you're the first uh, person to go to college. Like that was her perspective, and my perspective was, you know, Bill Zuzzi, Dave Rosen, you know, Craig Soder, right. Alan Clements, that, that was my perspective. And, and I felt like I should, I had more to contribute than, than what was, what I was contributing. So, uh, um, I, you know, I, I ended up quitting that job and going to work for family heritage. Hmm. So I was and family heritage, was just starting. They had a cancer product and they had a, um, a cardiac product. So I'm, here I am now okay. knocking
0: yeah. what's that it's an insurance company for people who don't know what that
1: is yeah it's, yeah, it's an insurance company and it was you know it's brand new they were only in Ohio and in Indiana so I'm in I'm in the hinterlands of Indiana in the country knocking on doors and saying hi um my name is Barry and I, I'm a local pharmacist and I'm talking to people about something a lot of people don't like to talk about cancer you know mm. like you know anybody who's had cancer statistically speaking one out of three people had had cancer or know someone people were letting me right in pharmacist wants to talk about cancer you know so i was like wow this is, you know this is great but the hours were like we basically went from noon to like 9 30 10 at night and i was trying to like meet a girl have a social life and it just really wasn't for me because of that and uh, and, and plus i was still wrestling i was still trying to um You know, I was going for the Olympic trials and doing a lot of that. Yeah, I wasn't as successful in college as I wanted to be, and I was great at freestyle, which is the Olympic style of wrestling. So, uh, so I was that was my that's what I wanted to do at that time. And ultimately, I tore my pectoralis muscle in a in a um, in a a trial match and had to have surgery, and that sort of ended my career. But I, you know, I was going door to door for family heritage. Uh, Then then uh, i got on hired on by southwestern and wow that was great that was i mean you get great suits you know i had a bag phone (laughs) you know we had these big bag phones you know in my car so i had a convertible bmw you know and so in my my limited capacity back then i thought well this is great you know i'm doing something i like um I'm. I. I. I have nice clothes. I'm meeting really interesting people. You know, I'm meeting the Pacers. I'm meeting CEOs of companies. I'm, you know, doing all that really cool stuff. And, uh, but something was something was eating at me. You know, having spent all that time and all that education, uh, that I wasn't I wasn't using my college degree. And I'll never forget this this guy changed my life. Um, he was a uh, he was this huge, wealthy, kind of fat guy like john candy so it looked yeah. like john candy and he kind of talked like john candy and i'll just i'll keep his name confidential because <laughs> he's a he's really transformed his life and he's a pretty pretty big um influencer in this community but but then he was just kind of rich jerk you know and and his i was going through his closet and i had a pile of 20 suits that i was throwing away his wife is cheering me on she's like yeah this is awesome you know because he's giving me all the uh I'm gonna lose like 50 pounds. And so, you know, I want a different suit and in Southwestern or in uh, Tom James, they, they teach you the answer to that objection. And so, you know, I'm about to make this gigantic score commission and I'm, I'm down on my, my my hands and knees. I'm measuring his crotch and uh, you know, having a tough time cause you know, his thighs are kind of rubbing together and you know, I'm, I'm working it. And the guy goes, he goes, what he goes, what was your degree and in college anyway? How'd you get into this haberdashery? And I I said, I said, uh, I'm a pharmacist. I went to school for six years. And he's like, what the hell? He goes, why the hell are you doing this? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, This is kind of menial, you know, compared to that. And so, and this guy, I mean, he influenced me a lot because he was a very, very successful businessman and sold a company, you know, was a multimillionaire. And and I'm like, well, I make more money and I to where it's take all hmm. I, I thought I had to be an employee or not. Like, I didn't, I hadn't had the idea or the belief level at the time to Consider that there were other possibilities, you know, like owning my own pharmacy or or whatever. So that that haunted me for about six months, and I looked into getting another degree, uh, which I did. In uh, it's a it was a certificate in, from Purdue in geriatric practice, and I had learned. See, there was a new business that was created by an act of by a legislative act. Basically, that happens a lot. Like whenever they, type, they, they, they pass a new tax law, that creates a whole new sector of business. Right. Well, this business was long-term care. They passed laws to keep the elderly from being chemically restrained in large facilities. So you would, it's very economical to dope them up so you can shut them up, hmm. right? That's, that's a great way, a very profitable way to take care of people. And it's bad, it's, you know it's morally wrong. So they passed a bunch of laws to prevent that. Um, and there was a new kind of business that was um, uh, that was that was out there. And I was one of the first students to study it. So I had a goal to sort of learn about that business, get into that business. And I, I did. I got into a national company that was making acquisitions left and right. Um, I was the top salesperson for that company for three years in a row. And then they promoted me to be um, uh, the, the general manager of the second biggest pharmacy in the country. So here I am a pharmacist, good at sales, good with the customers, but now I have 300 employees. I had no idea how to manage people at all.
2: Not on that scale.
1: Not on that scale. And this, and, you know, everything is so loosey goosey in the business world back then. We, we, we merged with another company, payroll went bad. And i funded payroll out of my my personal account yikes you know because i was dumb and created a giant tax nightmare for the company and you know just but but that's what you do in southwest you solve problems right figure out a way to solve problems Hmm. and uh but in in that and i'll just plug my business real quick but
0: yeah and feel free
1: from there i was you know i was learning about something called Lean and Six Sigma. So Lean was something invented by Toyota. And Toyota, they had something called the Toyota Production System. And, you know, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, they were kicking our butt. United, you know, all the American car companies with high quality and low prices. So my stepdad, who was part of a joint venture between Toyota and General Motors, was an expert in this. When I would tell him all my... um, Healthcare problems. I'd say, Dad, all the doctors are faxing orders to us at between three and five o'clock, and I'll have like two thousand orders to do, you know, in three hours, and it's a freaking nightmare. And we're making errors, and people are getting sick. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's like the aftermarket parts industry. What are you talking about? And he's like, People getting wrecks all day, and Then they FedEx us, they they fax us orders. We got to FedEx it by six. And you know, I was like, That's engineering. These are this is healthcare. We're taking care of people. Their lives matter. He's like, listen. People need their cars. A lot of people don't have money like these fat cat pharmacists and and uh, and nurses. You know what we do is really important, and we figured out a way to do it better, faster, and quicker than anybody else. Make sure people get their cars fixed really, really quickly. That was, and I'm like, wow. I want to. I want to learn. So I learned a lot of that. Tried to bring it into healthcare, and my big public company that was like a battleship just wasn't wasn't happening and uh you know one budget year they wanted me to lay off 20 percent of the people and i had uh presented them with a way to save a ton of money by taking all the paper out of pharmacy and becoming paperless by using a software that was being programmed by a, a phd from stanford and they're like what is this enterprise software? Is this some kind of starship? And I'm like, <laughs> dudes, it helps the whole enterprise. It'll help accounting. It'll help operations. It'll help customer service because, you know, we're generating a million pieces of paper per year. We're changing colors every two hours so that we can track these. we got baskets of paper. I mean, it's insane. And uh, they were like, nah, you know, they, and so they cut the program and I was like, I just need to go start my own business. So I, I I rounded up a bunch of investors, and me and my my best friend Eric Young, who sold books for five five summers, started a company called Young at Heart. Nice. And it was, yeah, it was to target the elderly who are young at heart, and the and the intellectually disabled who are in institutions who are also young at heart. And Eric, who lived in Pennsylvania, came to live in indianapolis so young came to heart we we're like yeah hey, this is a really cool name you know <laughs> you clever so um so we started a management company with the goal to, to start and run pharmacies our first pharmacy was called freedom pharmacy and uh we used lean six sigma and we were the first completely paperless pharmacy in the country so
2: lean six sigma six sigma is that software that got everything, uh, really quick and easy for the automotive industry to conduct business more or less paperless. And that's what you're able to do with your pharmacy operations.
1: Yeah. So lean and six Sigma is, uh, lean is the Toyota production system and it's basically their system for how to do business. And it's a lot like the Southwestern system. You know, there's a system that if you just follow it, then, um, you'll succeed. So in lean, there's, um, the Japanese have a, uh, uh, a word called Kaizen. And that word means daily, never-ending, incremental improvement. So bringing, uh, bringing a philosophy of daily, never-ending, incremental improvement to healthcare was, uh, w- was what we did. So a lot of doctors will say, man, healthcare is an art. You know, I'm like, so what are you, a car- what are you? I'm a cardiologist. So how do you get, how do you decide what to do and how to diagnose? Well, I use lab data, and I'm like, okay, so if you have lab data, how do you make a decision? He says, well, if this is true, then I make this decision. I'm like, so it's software. It's an algorithm. Right. You no, know, well, no, it's an art. Well, all art is a, is a bunch of subjective algorithms, I think, and, uh, and that's what we did with healthcare, was we systematized it, made it like engineering, and instead of people just guessing and being random about their results. We empowered every individual, to, you know, from the from the from the lowest paid person to the highest paid person, to uh, be able to affect their environment through a process of incremental improvement. So everybody felt good, everybody felt empowered, and the result was the organization kept getting better and better, more profitable, more profitable. People kept uh, we kept attracting customers, we had people from all over the country coming to see how are you doing it, how are you paperless. Hmm. this thing called the cloud what is that you know, we were in the cloud before there was the cloud <laughs> we have something called, awesome. called hyper v to virtualize servers and you know in 2005 oh, so cool.
2: 16 years ago which is crazy to realize isn't it, it 16 is. years
1: after you sold books or well, yeah <laughs> yeah so it was um so it was two bookmen who were really were kind of on a journey to sort of change change the world so um, Mm-hmm. How, how did that change to pharmaceutical? I mean,
0: because I mean, it sounds like it kind of disrupted a little bit of the, or if not a lot of bit of the pharmaceutical industry and 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 how did you handle the scalability? I mean, you were cha- you're were, you were going towards uncharted territory. You said you were the first pharmaceutical company that was completely paperless. And so yeah. that has its own challenges as far as like nobody to model after. Right. And right. Like it's how did you find your way and, and to, to make it what it is now or like what happened after?
1: Yeah, so um, the software, uh, the guy guy who, Kevin Welch, who who created the software, I said, hey, man, you're a rich guy. You know, you own an island off the coast of Anacortes. Um, Will you fund my company? And he's like, no, because then I'll be in competition with my customers. But you can be a development partner. I'll give you the software for free. You'll have direct access to me. We'll use your ability to plan, do, check, act you know in this virtuous continuous improvement cycle that we didn't invent we just adopted from toyota they were our mentor company um to continuously improve the software so kevin kevin software then became the dominant platform in the entire industry like everybody uses it like 80% market share hmm. you know for us so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't benefit from that at all um but i did benefit from being first you know in in the space uh, but the problem was you know as minority shareholder me and my me and my business partner, we have 14 other investors. we tried for two and a half years to buy them out and it didn't didn't work. um so I, I left the company because I wanted to grow to the moon and they just wanted to turn the money spigot on. so you know I'm the CEO it's it's like herding cats when you have investors. you know one guy wants to lever the company up and grow. another guy wants to just get distributions another guy wants to um, Go into you know branch off into something else, and so uh, so then we started a, the next company with our own money um, on a shoestring, hung a shingle, and I literally went door to door in the industry to to build the business from zero. Wow! Mortgaged my house, um, got a divorce out of it, you know, because I was working. My wife's like, "What? What do you mean our house is?" Our house is. Up. I'm like, well, you signed the documents, and and you showing and we're losing forty five thousand dollars a month. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we need we need we need more capital. Or they're gonna take the house. Dang. She's like, I didn't sign up for this. And I'm like, but but we're married. <laughs> you you signed up for it, you know. And uh, anyway, she's one of my best friends today. That part didn't work out, but uh, but we kept growing, you know, and ultimately. Uh, I bought him out with current investors. And yeah, we've just been been growing ever since. Still private.
2: Wow. And are you operating out of um, Carmel, Indiana or Indianapolis? or?
1: Carmel, Indiana. Yeah. Cool. Done several new sort of business ventures since then in the space. Um, I haven't had, so my limitation has always been capital. And uh, I think I'm about to turn the corner on that. And man, I mean, for all the successes, and this is how, you know, how do we define success? Um, I, you know, I've had a ton of failures. I reconnected with my that girlfriend that I told you about. From 35 years later, dude, nice. I'm dating the girl that I dated on the book field.
2: What? The cheerleader? The cheerleader. No way.
1: <laughs> and we got engaged. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she got engaged, you know, and she's doing great. She has her own business. She's a millionaire. She's wow. awesome. Um,
2: When's but, the wedding? Know, Are we invited?
1: <laughs> it didn't work out.
2: Oh, uh, OK. Um, OK. No,
1: it was it was like, you, you know, it was uh, it was the rebound, basically. Uh. And it didn't work out. But, uh, she, you know, she's still awesome. And it's uh, and so, like that's a failure. You know, it was a. But it was great. I wouldn't trade that experience with her of us reconnecting, and uh, such a such a great story. You know, we had surreal. so much fun together. We traveled the world together. We did all kinds of you know really great great things. Showed everybody our, our pictures. Here's us. When we're in college. You know, and here's us now. And yeah, it was fun. Um, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. So I, I just I think I think the um, the moral of the story there is is one of the, I bring her up because she said, why aren't you the CEO of Eli Lilly? And I'm like, I never wanted to be that, you know? I have had about 6,000 people work in in my organization over the years. You know, there's been a lot of, there's been influence. I've been influenced by um, lots of people. And uh, for me, because I didn't really have a, a present father, my goal in life was to be a great dad. Like that. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to be a present dad. Um, And, you know, when you, when you look at like the hours of your days and, and you know, the thing that the the question that I asked myself, the question I wish I knew to ask myself when I was 30 is how do I want to feel every day? You know, how, how do I want to feel? I was unconscious for a long time. Mm. Like I'm having success, worldly success, but I'm not really, wasn't really conscious. You know, I was checking boxes, you know, checking boxes on the life, checking boxes on the, on the business, checking boxes. But I wasn't really aware of how I was feeling. You know, I was just working my ass off. And then, um, you know, after my son was born, I had a, I had a daughter, who uh, was my stepdaughter then i had a son and then i adopted a girl from guatemala um a little girl after that adoption my, um that's when i became conscious like i started to realize hmm what i do every day affects how i feel who i'm around every day affects affects how i feel and how i feel determines the quality of my life you know and, and i don't mean that in like a you know woo-woo you know feeling but 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 it is important. Like, do you want to feel joy? Do you want to feel stress? You know, what is it that that connects you to um, to the universe and to uh, to your family? And you know, what what are those things? And so, I think for me, uh, success is having successful relationships and feeling being in a state that I that I want to be in more often than not you know and i saw so for me i saw like working for eli Lilly and climbing the corporate ladder and things like that they didn't give me the agency they wouldn't have given me the agency and the and the freedom to like trial this crazy shit. and so i wouldn't have felt the same at least that's what that's what i believe you
0: know that's, that's really really good man <laughs> that's so good i mean and but that's you learn that from experience and you've learned that from that those failures that led to you finding out what success means to you. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about this because this is something that, so Southwestern does a really good job of prepping you for hardships in life. And and one of the things that they always, at least for me, they were like, we're going to teach you to run a business. And then you leave Southwestern and you try to run your own business and you realize there's a lot of stuff that we didn't learn. Like simple, something as simple as like, how do you start an LLC? Right? Why do you, how do you right. trademark something? How do you, what do you, uh, like the, the logistics of actual business business management and so one of the things that you talked about that I actually wanted to ask you even for myself is is you talked hey I rounded a bunch a bunch of investors I or I found funding this way from a from a small business that whether it's someone listening right now they're, they're trying to kind of get their little thing off the ground it's just kind of just starting out or maybe us as a podcast we're trying to like scale what would you say yeah were the things that you that you would recommend us do, people listening, what, what would you say, hey, this is how you are able to go from this is a really good idea, you got a really good product or whatever, you got a really good work ethic, to actually jumping it and scaling it to something that does, you know, take off and and, and succeed.
1: Okay. Well so I'll answer that by giving you first some spiritual advice and then some practical advice. So or let's call it emotional advice. I think the first thing is when you have a small business or any business especially a small business you are the business the the business is you so it's a reflection like you said you are your units right we learned that in southwestern so you are the business so the first thing you have to do is you have to take a really hard look at yourself and your life and you have to determine what what is it that you value truly what you value and, and write those things down and be, and be super honest about it. I mean, how many doctors do I know that they're doctors because their parents wanted them to be doctors and, uh, and they hate it. Right. Or, or I I know this with one female doctor, she feels horrendously guilty because she loves being a doctor. She doesn't love being a mom. She Mm. thinks she's supposed to be a mom. Right. And, and, but the thing is, is it's okay if she would admit, I love being a mom, so I'm going to delegate parenting to my husband, then, then it can, then it can work. But people are unwilling to be authentic about their values because they have, they're being something in their culture, their church, their family is imposing values on them from the outside. And they're not living out their values. Mm. So I think the, fir- the first piece of advice is determine what your values are, so that you can structure your business in alignment with your values, because then your vocation will become your vacation. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Yeah. And you'll have unlimited energy, like unfrickin' limited energy. Um. So like uh, so that's like the first practical. Um thinking, you know, I had a friend who who uh she wanted to start a t-shirt company and uh it's not a friend of friends of somebody who worked for me. She's oh you gotta talk to my boss, you know. So I met with her and I'm like, why do you want to start a t-shirt company? It's like it's super cool. And it's like, okay, you know, she just thinks it's easy money, she's gonna fail. Wasn't wasn't in line with her values. So that's step number one. Step number two is um work on losing your ego mm, yeah. because as a small business person yeah, I, yeah. You, you went bam like like you've got like we all have these egos you know and uh, you have a vision you have a desire you have you have passion and you know somebody else who could uh uh you know something that needs doing in the business and and so often small business people entrepreneurs they want to do it too Um, But they're not good at it, you know, and and to really, really, really succeed. I think um, Southwestern touches on this, but we don't see it because we're individual contributors. We're out. We're alone on the book field. But the people on your team will will elevate the business. Um, You know, Simon Sinek says, uh, if you hire somebody to do a job, they'll work for your money. If you hire somebody who believes what you believe, they'll work. For, uh, for you with their blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. So get yourself a team. There's plenty of people out there who want to be Indians and they want good lead- People are dying for leadership. You see it on the book field all the time. Like they want someone to go first to give the sales talk. That's the natural human tendency. But some guy's going to stop, or some girl's going to step up and they're going to do their sales talk first. People need that. They need permission to perform and mm-hmm. leadership gives them that entrepreneurs or leaders but if you've got your ego in the way you're you're not going to be able to recognize those around you who can who can elevate your vision so you got to work on the ego and then be really honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at and get somebody to do what you're not good at because i guarantee you there is somebody out there who's freaking delighted to make a schedule or to do a spreadsheet or to do your taxes or whatever the hell it is that you don't want to do. Somebody is delighted to do that and they feel empowered and inspired and like, wow, I was born to do this. Go find that person, you know, a great you, reminder. You know do what you're good at. So you, yeah. Man. So
2: align with your values, get rid of your ego. So you're not getting in the way. Like uh, you, you were talking about how those people without the ego, they go and do the uncomfortable things because they don't care how they look when they do those uncomfortable things. it's comfortable things. for them. Yeah, and because play to your strengths, right? And allow yeah. others to do the same. So that's good reminders.
0: That's that
2: good lessons. Gold stuff, Yeah, man. So, yeah, I don't know. What are what are we feeling for time? Are, are you are thinking it's ready for the pony story, or where, what are your thoughts on that, Barry? What what more would you like to share? We want to res- be respectful to your time as well.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm just curious. Um, I had a friend who, she was doing the same. She had the same vision of doing this podcast in a, uh, uh, in in the chiropractic industry. But like, what is your ultimate? why about why you guys are doing a podcast what are you trying to bring you know to the to the world how how are you going to be the best in the world at it
0: that's a good question i i um i actually wrote this down i'll answer your question first but i'll tell you why and i thought of this because we started i started as a hobby we were in the middle of covid um it Uh was november last year um I had had this experience with and i share this in some of the other episodes but i don't mind sharing it again because i think it's worth sharing it almost every episode really um wow. i had i had an experience i visited portland or another book guy that i sold books with and he was hanging out with some other book guys and we went to this bar and we were just talking there was like eight six or eight of us and then there was one guy that didn't sell books but he was in sales so he kind of got the idea he'd been experienced in sales his own way and so he was hanging with us and just and I, I and we didn't mean to exclude him or make him feel like an outsider. And he was trying yeah. to, for some reason, I don't know if it was because he felt left out or something, but he was talking to us about how he asked me, "How do I know those guys?" He says, "Oh, I sell books. I don't really know them all." He goes, "Oh, you're kind of like meshing with them all." I was like, "Yeah, it's just this weird thing with with people that did this thing that we just kind of like connect, and it, it's yeah. kind of like a fraternity or a sorority thing where it's like you just know it's shared shared trauma, I
1: guess." Yeah, yeah,
0: and he. And he goes, oh no, I, I get that. And I didn't, I was not trying to make him say, feel like left out, but I'm like, no, it's a little different. I know you've been in sales and we can connect on that, but it's, there's something about having done this that is just different. And he goes like, how? And I said, okay, watch this. And so everybody was kind of having their own conversation and say, like, hey, watch, hey, you guys want to hear a pony story? And the whole table just stopped and go, just turned with their drinks in their hand. They're like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> and then. And then I looked at him, I'm like, like that, that's what I mean. And so I realized at this moment that there was something where there was this disconnect in it and it, and there was a way to be able to help the people that sold feel seen and feel heard and, and shared, because at that point, it didn't matter who had sold the most units between us. It didn't matter who sold the most summers or who was making the most money. Now it mattered that we had this really crazy shared experience that is not unique to southwestern. I think that you learn these things in life eventually, but I think what southwestern does is it teaches all of those lessons of like a decade or two in like 3 months. And if you do more than one summer, it's like compounded, right? So um in my head I said, you know, there's so many crazy stories or so many crazy things that that I I have. Imagine 8 of us, right? Imagine 150,000 living of us, right? And people who didn't I feel like there's a way to bridge this gap where these people feel heard the people that sold feel connected and then the people that didn't can can learn and can can share and can see that you know turn on the color and to use your analogy like help them see, it's like bringing color televisions into it so I guess to use your analogy my why for this is to kind of kind of be the color television podcast where every other podcast about success, all the books about success, scheduling, life, perseverance, hardships have been written. And there's just not enough readers. And they're kind of black and white. And so what I've what our why started that way. And it's kind of shaped into this idea of just let's just bring a little bit of color to 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 life by helping people share this these stories and helping people like you because because you hear like, there's a lot of really good podcasts. Gary Vee has a good podcast. There's the action catalyst podcast that, that Dustin Hillis runs and they're great, but you hear, and it's like this polished interview and it's like, and it's like, oh, right. And it's not raw. It's not real. It's not what it is when you, when you talk to a person who sold books at a bar and you're like, dude, (laughs) this crazy thing happened. Right. And, and, oh yeah, me too. And so that is what's missing. And I think that this is what it's become is just this ability to share raw, honest details of things yeah. that were hard that other people can relate to, even if they didn't sell books or especially if they did. Uh, the dream is to have this be a place where this happens all the time with people who had this experience, but then it translates into, hey man, I had this crazy story and like you're, you've shared some really valuable wisdom to me personally, hopefully people listening to, but every episode has been this way. I mean, we had Dave Rosen on here who was a crazy record-breaking person and just really yeah. blew my brain. But then we had someone who, we had Griffin Mims who sold, I think, a thousand units maybe something for the one summer, 700 units for one summer. But he's t- taking pictures and helping people go climb out Everest and works for this company that, like, like climbs the tallest mountains in the world and takes this amazing photography. And... It doesn't matter the production. It doesn't matter the number of summers. What matters is what he learned is the same thing that Dave Rosen learned. Why, and why aren't we, some people don't sell books. I have, we all have friends who, uh, we think, "Ah, if you would have sold books, man, or woman, you would have crushed. But at the same time, it's like, well, why don't we just bring that to you? Why don't we just in a raw way that's honest and true and real and, and, and unscripted and just let it out. And so, yeah, the goal is to turn on the color, I guess um and and that's my why that's cool man that's a good question
1: yeah,
0: thank you for asking
1: great. well i mean you have such an amazing platform here you know to um because everybody has you know everybody's going to hear something different when they when they hear our stories uh because the, the stories i mean it's so great like a like a spouse they just can't comprehend so listen to the podcast listen to a couple of people you know um that, but you have a platform to, you know, create a lot of positive vibes, whether it's laughter or just connection. You know, wow, I should get back into the book community. I mean, maybe somebody hears this, who's been getting called by Southwestern for uh, for having some students stay every year for the last 15 years, and they say no every time, and then they say yes this one time, and they have like a profound impact on on some students' lives. That could happen, you know? And it's because of this little seed. They just, they listen to the podcast once. So you just never know the ripples they are gonna, they're going to occur. That's why I'm so like geeked about what you're doing. You're, you're finding, you're finding the goal, you know, out right. there and then and then giving it a, some kind of platform. And- I
2: personally would love to see like people who are on an episode, they're talking about what they're doing for work and you know they happen to get approached by someone from our audience who's like yo i want to work with you i want to do exactly you seem really cool to work with and i loved how you talked about this part of your business and i think i can really add this to it uh, we haven't had anything like that happen to our knowledge but mm-hmm. you know finding a way to to make this network um you know post southwestern a bit stronger um however that gets pulled off i mean there's been you know different facebook groups and that was another source of inspiration for this platform but like it's it's great for me to have the reminder of like it's okay to you know be a badass in the sense of not like um it's funny last episode um there's a book called you are a bass it's full of platitudes it seems like thoughtless and uninspiring if because it's just like oh go to work and, and work hard and all this stuff or but yeah. it's important to remember these principles that still persist through, you know, creating your reality. You talked about having, having that intention in, instead of living life by default, have a design to it. Right? Um, and so, yeah, uh, it's cool to, to see, um, what can happen. Um, Alicia Kaufman, she, she messaged on here asking you about crewing in Texas. I don't know if that brings back any memories but um crewing people back in texas for example is something that i know exactly what she's probably talking about um yeah so i don't know if you want to speak to that or or anything else that you would care to share just to finish up and um make this well, episode end with a bang but on that it seems I, like he has a question as well yeah so. and i hey, wanted
0: yeah. to reflect on something and maybe ask you to like reflect on something that you said that like that you just said that it's it's creating this um it's creating this this possibility right that this exists and more than anything i think is is what's important is that this has grown organically like where we're at right now has we haven't paid for a single advertisement we haven't tried to reach out, more than just sharing stuff on facebook and stuff and to your point it's it's interesting to see the reaction from both people who sold books and from people who didn't yeah uh, that it's that it's been something where you know i've had friends who listen in cuz they're supporting they'll listen and say this that was amazing like that was so good to hear. I needed to hear this right now. And yes. the the one impact if we, so we've had 52 episodes. If we could get to a hundred, what kind of impact do we have? If we could get to a thousand where just one person listened to something that just, then they started Tesla. <laughs> I don't know. So, right. right. we would never know. Hopefully they never tell us. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it could be the difference that makes, you know, someone's life that much better. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I appreciate that 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 a lot. So. It's a great thought that you had as like, man, how can just one seed, you know, really grow and sprout and impact stuff. So,
2: yeah. So to, to, to bring it back to you, go ahead and share whatever you'd like to. The uh, pony story or the big
0: showstopper that you would leave someone listening with that you say, man, this is, if anything, this is the one that like, before I die, this is what someone needs to know.
1: Yeah. I mean, you brought up Texas and I didn't, didn't talk enough about Texas and the national disaster area that we were in when San Antonio and Reagan declared it and it was rain everywhere. Um, it was uh so on the border of Mexico. Gosh, that was crazy. Walking down the street singing uh uh singing I sell books in Spanish, <laughs> doing the demos in Spanish. Um but I think I think the uh The thing that I would sort of the pony story is, for me, the the total um, you know aggregate experience of of selling books, whether it's selling books or or not selling books, um, there's just all you're going to have challenges in life, and 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 how and you're going to fail over and over and over again. I experienced so much failure in selling books that one of the things that, that I, I took away from that was that, uh, you know, there's a platitude. It's like, it's not really failure. It's just experience. Um, but, but it was hard for me because uh, I had something, I think a lot of, a lot of people, even uh, especially now, in our society, they don't feel like they're good enough. Like they look around on Instagram or they they compare themselves constantly. And and there's always that seed of doubt that I'm not I'm not good enough, you know. And the um and I experienced that in Southwestern. It's like no matter how well I did, there was always someone who was better. Unless you're number one, you know, you're not you're, you're not any better. And that haunted me in my career. and sort of drove me, you know, you'll have people super dysfunctional who win an Olympic gold medal. We celebrate them because they won the Olympic gold medal, but the entire time they're thinking, uh, you know, I'm, they're thinking I'm not good enough. And this is the only way that I'm going to feel good enough is if I become a gold medalist. Right. And the secret to life is that, and I just, I guess the thing I want to leave is none of that matters. You know, it, um, the only thing that matters is that no matter how, um, no matter what you've done, um, no matter what's happened to you, you're worthy of love.
2: Mm.
1: The most successful wrestlers that that I I finally finally learned this in my fifties, as I was trying to coach my son and figure out why are they so better. They were they're filled with joy. They go out and they're wrestling for fun. And they 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 feel excited when they when they wrestle because it's a it's you stress not distress you know they feel excited about the challenge. Um, people who go up and I feel I've learned to feel excited about talking to customers, um, and it it's like a vacation for me now. I used to feel like oh shit I'm not good enough. They're going to be pissed about some aspect of my service, and all those things are still true, but in my heart of hearts. I know that I want to take care of them and I want to give them service. Like I have this life of service for my customers and that makes it, that makes me good enough. You know, my service is sometimes not where I want it to be. It's subpar. I fail left and right, but that doesn't mean that, that, that I'm not good enough. And I think people carry that around with them and they try to fix it. Through success in Southwestern, through success in other things. And they're missing the point of, of their life, which is to feel the way, you know, feel the joy that they want to feel by living in, congruent, in congruency with their values. And when you do that, you'll feel like you'll feel complete, you know. So, and I had to, I, was, I feel like I've had to dig through a lot of shit to find that pony, but nothing I do matters, you know, except living in, um, in in congruency with my values. And since, and I don't do it all the time, dudes, like I'm, you know, I'm struggling right now with a direction to go in my business. And I'm trying to, uh, you know, if I do it, it'll take me away from my son. It'll take me away from my daughter more than I want. And I'm like, man, life is short. And I love the time I spend with them. We, we talk about everything. We have so much fun together and they like hanging with me and, I don't want to jeopardize those minutes of my life, you know, through doing this thing in business that will make me more money and, and give me more influence because those things don't matter to me, you know, because they don't give me the feelings that I want to feel. They used to give me feelings of being enough. Now I realize that I am enough. So I make different choices.
2: Coming from a place of, being Oof. fulfilled prior to seeking fulfillment from outside of yourself right yeah Oof. yeah Oof.
0: whoa you know so <laughs> I thought I, I thought we'd be funny instead of heavy but <laughs> no man no, see that's the thing this goes wherever and and, and yeah. here's the thing we'd love to have you back again to just chat more about like crazier stories maybe it's just an episode about just funny stories but but yeah. we're working on having repeat we want repeat guests. So that way it's like, not just, Oh, you came here once, no more. So, you know, we'll have to have you back on again for sure, man. I mean, this has been, Naomi was like, you gotta have Barry (laughs) when she met you, she goes, you have to have Barry on the, on the podcast. I said, yeah, yeah, yes. Bring him on. And she's so awesome
1: to meet her because she stayed with one of my friends. So I couldn't keep people this summer. Um, so I, I gave names and then one of the names, you know i was like i'm not gonna do this this sounds crazy my kids don't like it i'm like listen your kids are gonna love it you'll have a chance to expose them to some really sharp college kids and that's going to change their lives positively and and they need that hmm. you know I, I coming from a dad that's just my philosophy do what you want jolyn she's like okay and then she had this like awesome headquarters so
2: yeah okay
0: Heck yeah. Heck yeah, man that's so awesome i'm glad that she bumped into you and, and, and this right here is the epitome of what this podcast is about. I have never even met you. I just saw a picture of you earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know what you look like, didn't know anything about your background. We should, I mean, they, they a preach pod. pre-approach, but I almost prefer no pre-approach because then this is a lot more organic. I got to know you as we did this. And so, yeah, man, I'm so happy that you were on. I would love to, both of us would love to stay in touch with you keep track of your success. Uh, we'd love to again the, the pharmaceutical company that, that you're running at, or you know just people listening keep up with Barry Hearts. where where can we find a little bit more about Oops, what you you cut out there for a second. Oh sorry about that. Where where can we find a little bit more about what what you're up to what, keeping up with you if someone's listening and kind of wanted to keep keep track of you and, and follow
1: you up. You can Google Young at Heart Young at, uh, Heart Young at Heart Pharmacy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's there's, there's stories and there's some um some different articles about us and about me that are on the web so
0: cool yeah so if you're if you're listening you're Indiana you want to you're maybe you sold books maybe you just want to pick his brain or whatever find young at heart uh Barry Hart is the the person we've been on with today Dude, thank you so much for for being on here man this is a great one and uh, yeah we're looking forward to 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 again like I said keeping in touch uh make sure to listen in until some of the other episodes I'll send you the recording of this so you can share with sure. whoever you want And uh, yeah, if you're if we'll be wrapping up here, um, announcements for people coming up next, Nick, who do
2: we got? So this upcoming Thursday, we've finally been able to get um, these are all people that you you may not know, Barry, but uh, Andrew Williamson worked with us for many years in the force organization out of Missouri is where he's um, originally from. Then following Sunday, we've got Courtney Buck. Um, yeah, that'll be a really interesting episode because she married someone she met through Southwestern. Um, oh, that's going to be awesome to hear <laughs> about. Um, and then the next Thursday after that, um, this is the whole month of uh, breast cancer support, um, supporting uh, Real Men Wear Pink, um, Only Women, West McKinley that next Thursday. And then after that, we've got on Sunday, October 10th, Kate Wright. Um, yeah. she, she sold back in the 80s, I believe, definitely in the 90s. Um, and she was like recruiting 20 person teams, selling 10,000 units, just like really successful yeah. in the book business and wrote some books and did music and like started the Advantage for Parents website and was like in the, produ- like, the product side of the company for a while. Um, so we're excited to have her on. That's, that's pretty exciting for us. Um, and then after that, it'll be um, Kim Shell, Whitney Armstrong. And um, some really awesome book yeah. book ladies. So keep month it, of October. Keep so. an eye on that. We'll be also announcing about the
0: uh, fundraiser that we're doing. So if you're listening, you want to donate, you want to help out with breast cancer support. Um, as Nick is saying, yep, for sure. But uh, yeah, we've been live with Barry Hart all the way from Indiana, and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Barry, for being on here. And a real uh, pleasure. And uh, yeah, see you guys next time.
1: Yeah, take care of each other. Yes, that's right.
0: <laughs>
2: Bye guys.
1: Right, take care. Bye.
2: All right.